Wow, good stuff, good stuff. Thank you, Ron. Um, advice to my younger self is the theory. And, and probably a lot of us, if we had the opportunity to give some advice to our younger self, there's probably a few things we'd want to say. Some things that we've learned along the way that we might want to share with them. So, uh, whoop, am I doing it right? Yeah. Well, I guess green means on, right? Yes, it does. So if you were to visit, the question is, if you were to visit your younger self, what is the main thing you'd want to tell yourself about a life of following Jesus? Okay, well, the first week of the series, Mark, and listen, if you, hadn't, if you haven't heard these two sermons, Mark's sermon, he just blew it out, man. I mean, it was a bomb. It was one of the best, Mark, that I think you've done on there is more. That's what he would tell his younger self, that there's more than you could ever imagine. And last week, I didn't get to hear it because uh, I, I was out of town, but I did go through all of the slides, and Rhonda went through all of her notes, which took longer than going through your slides. His sermon was live on purpose, live intentionally. And uh, from everything I saw, I can't wait to hear it. It was, a, it was a fantastic and a powerful message. So my job this morning is to continue with that. And so I was kind of wondering, what should I actually speak on? And so, uh, you know, what would I want to tell my younger self? Because, listen, guys, I was out of control most of my younger self life. Uh, that's what I'm told anyway. In fact, a week or so ago, I was in Texas with my family, and my mom and dad are celebrating their 67th wedding anniversary. They have 37 grandchildren. 17 of them are great-grandchildren. We all gathered together in Texas, and we had a big Texas hoo kind of thing, and there was pulled pork barbecue that would just make you die, guys. It was so very good. I love Texas barbecue. Anyway, it was a great time. We were sitting, a bunch of my siblings, I've got 11 of them, uh, but probably seven of them, and uh, I were sitting around the table underneath the porch with my mom and dad, and we were watching all the kids out there playing. There was a pool there, and they were just having a great time, running around screaming and stuff like that. And, and, and I turned to my brothers and sisters, and I said, how many of these kids out here do you think maybe suffer, you know, or just touched a little bit by that old ADHD kind of phenomenon? And my brother and sister said, well, yeah, that one probably so. That one's on medication. And, you know, so there were a couple of them that were. And then I, I stupid me, I asked a question. I said, of all of us 12 kids, who would you say probably was maybe also touched with ADHD? And Nine fingers pointed at me. I'm like, what? What about Rilla? Uh, what about Paul? They were. Everybody's like, no, no, dude, it's you. So, in an attempt to change the subject, I told them about my sermon. You know, well, okay, I, I'm preaching this in a couple of weeks on what advice I would give my younger self. You know, what what do you think maybe I would say? Well, my first sister said, "Stop ruining our Barbie playtime." <laughs> And, you know, I don't know that that's what I was thinking of for my sermon, but uh, I did understand what she was saying because I had five sisters before my first brother. And I grew up with my sisters playing Barbies. They loved to build beautiful homes for Barbie, and I loved to destroy the beautiful home for Barbie. And so, okay, and my brother said, Tom, you should tell your younger self to learn to chill and take your meds. I turned to my dad and I said, was I on medications? And he said, no, but we wish that we had had it back in the day. 
And finally, my mom said, to make matters worse, she said, I would have you tell your younger self that Catholic nuns are there to teach you, not chase you. <laughs> and then they started telling stories on me that hurt my feelings. <laughs> I mean, uh, okay, so my sister Mary is something, my first grade nun. She did take a gallon of glue, Elmer's glue, poured it in my seat and made me sit in it. I don't know why. And I did get 21 licks with a paddle by Sister Rosemarie in my third grade year. And, and I told my family, guys, today that would be considered abuse. And they said, you know, but Tommy, back in the day, we called it survival. <laughs> so uh, what was I going to speak about? So. I had to get into a frame of mind to talk to my younger self. And so I decided what I was going to do was just have a little talk with Tommy. I was just going to kind of set it up and just kind of talk to him. But in order to do that, I decided I needed to get into my wise, you know, I'm over 60 years old. I've had a lot of experience. And I wanted to get into my wise, you know, inner self that I could really talk to him. And start. I started just kind of sharing and trying on different things that I might say to him. And, but the reactions that I got, not so much. Uh, it, it seemed like my inner self just kept getting more and more frustrated. And so finally I had that talk and I said, well, okay, what are you thinking? What do you, what do you want to hear? And it seemed like my younger self said to me, dude, you are so boring. You think you know all this stuff, but you don't know anything. You're too old. Well, okay, but I am smarter, right? Yeah, I don't think he thought so. So I decided that maybe what needed to happen was instead of advice to my younger self, that I would just go with advice from my younger self. So I'm going to switch the series for this morning and, and talk because I learned three things from my little Tommy. That's what everybody called me. Except my mom, she would call me Thomas, uh, Samuel Thomas Aloysius Sanco. I don't know where the Aloysius came from, but, but she would do that, especially when she was mad at me. But what I learned that day as I just kind of went through and talked was that there were some things that I used to know and that the older I got, the more I seemed to lose them. I seemed to get out of touch. There were some things that little Tommy knew that I knew once, but I've kind of forgotten. I've kind of strayed away, strayed away from those things. So I want to share with you the three lessons that Tommy would tell me and perhaps would tell you. And guys, these are things that are not really mentioned real specifically all throughout the Scripture. And yet, they are everywhere through Scripture. In fact, these three things are seen in the very nature and character of the Almighty God and within each one of us. Three things. And yet, we move so fast and so far in life, we sometimes forget them, we sometimes get out of touch with them. Three things. And, and the story that came to mind as I considered all of this was one of my favorites. It's the story of when Elijah goes to Elisha and anoints him as the next prophet. I love this story. So Elijah's been out in the desert. He's been running for his life. People want to kill him. And uh, finally, God says to him, Elijah, quit hiding. Here's what I want you to do now. And he says, gives him several things. And then he says, I want you to go and anoint a young man, Elisha, 
and set him up because he's going to follow in your footsteps one day. So here's the story. In 1 Kings 19, 19-20. So Elijah went from there, and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? You know, you get the sense that this young man, Elisha, is prime for an adventure in life. And here's why I say that. Look at this guy. He's got 12 yoke of oxen, so that's at least 24, and it could be 48, depending on how many teams, uh, how many were in a team, of oxen. And he himself is running the 12th team out there. They're plowing the fields. That means he has land, he has oxen, he has farming equipment, he has uh, uh, harvest that he seeds and then brings back in, he has a house, he probably has barns somewhere to put his, he's got family, he's got friends, he's got a full life. And yet, you get the sense that he's ready for an adventure. I mean, look right there. Elijah says, uh, puts his cloak on him and walks off. And Elisha chases after him. Hey, listen, I'm going, I'm coming. Boy, that's all it took? Just a cloak on his back, and he's ready to go. You know, there is an adventure waiting for us. There is adventure everywhere you go, everywhere you look. Right now, this morning, right here, there is an adventure that God is inviting you on to. So the first point that that Tommy shared with me that day was look for the adventure. The older I got, the more I found that I quit looking for the adventure because I'm so busy putting together the things, the routines, the resources that I need to live my life. And I forget that there's an adventure waiting for me every step of the way. Everywhere I go, there's an adventure just sitting right there for me. If you want to find God... Look to a new adventure because right there in the midst of that adventure, you'll find God. There's something about the character and the nature of God in which he loves the mystery, the adventure, the change, the newness. It's all there waiting for us. Children find adventure wherever they go. I, I you know, put some of these up here. You give them an empty box and they're done for an hour, Right? You throw a sheet over the table and over the kitchen chairs, and what happens? The adventure starts. It doesn't take anything, and children will jump into the adventure. And guys, they see it as an adventure, don't they? I mean, they're fully into it. And all you have to do is say something like, you know, wow, we're in a cave. And right there, they're in the cave. <laughs> what can you, where's a fire? Oh, okay, get that blanket, put it right there. That's our fire. And they love it. They see the adventure. Why don't we? We just sit in these chairs and we come and we do our thing and we worship and then we go out and we go to McDonald's and we do all these things. Where's the adventure? There is no adventure, right? It's just life, man. That's what those kids don't know yet is that real life is waiting for them. Oh, they won't be quite so happy then, right? Psalm uh, no, 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 let me say this. I, I just made a statement that, that everywhere you go, there's an adventure. Hey, listen, in Acts chapter 17, here's what the writer says. 
He says, God is on his throne. He is everywhere. And if all you do is grope in the darkness, you'll find him. Because he is not far from you. And then he says this. He says, it is in him that you live and breathe and move and exist and have your being is in him. Stop and think about it for just a moment. And remember, he, he said just before that, God is not far from you. That is the lie. That's the lie that we keep hearing. That God is over here and I'm here. And all I have to do is grope and I'll find God. No, no. The writer is saying the opposite of that. He's saying, no, no, no. He's not far from you. That's ridiculous. You are in him. And the analogy is as though we were back in our mother's womb again. In which everything as an infant you do, every breath, every movement, everything you do is in your mother. We are in God. Okay, let me... Psalm 85.4 says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on a pilgrimage. What's a pilgrimage? Well, it's a spiritual journey. It's a, uh, it's a crusade. It's an adventure. It's, it's the search for significance. Blessed is those, the hearts of those who want, who are set on a pilgrimage, on an adventure. Why? Because it's on the journey that you find the Almighty. I'm going to go back real quick and uh, go back to this. Elijah says to him, go back. What have I done to you? And, and there's a number of interpretations for that. But the interpretation I hear and I like is this. Yeah, you want to go back and kiss your parents? That's fine. That's fine. You can do that. But don't put that on me. I'm simply offering you the life that you want. I'm offering you an adventure of a lifetime. So if you want to go back and kiss your parents, that's fine. It's not about me telling you you can or can't. Do what you have to do, but make a decision. Are you going to go on the adventure or not? That's good news. That's good news. How do we find the adventure? Because some of us might think that these verses and verses like this in the Bible are talking about a career change. Maybe God wants me to, you know, do this or do that or, you know, quit my job and go to Africa and serve as a missionary or, you know, something like that. Guys, I, that's not the kinds of adventures I think God is inviting us on to. I think the kinds of adventures he's opening up to us are as simple as deciding to smile at people. I think it is going up to the, uh, uh, the checkout counter at Weiss Food Store and commenting on the young lady's hair. I, I, think it's, I think it's standing on the elevator and being the one who talks and who asks questions and says, how's everybody doing today? Or maybe it's at the end of the day, I'm bushed. How about everybody here? Engage people, smile, laugh. Notice the things that seem to be important to other people. And enter into it. Why? Because that's the adventure that is waiting. That's where God is. And we can spend all of our time talking about, well, you know, I need to get prepared for this big adventure that God may have for me. Guys, stop it. 
Let's stop that kind of stuff. You are already enough to go on an adventure. Does it take any maturity to go and talk to the young woman at McDonald's? Does it take any maturity to do that? No, it just takes the willingness to say, I am good to go. I'm good to put out and see what God may have for me. Because everywhere I go, there I will find him. I'm going to go on with the story real quick. Look for the adventure. Blessed are those who are on the pilgrimage. And then the story goes on. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered him. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and they ate. Elisha wasn't looking back. He had no plan B. He didn't have a backup strategy of some sort. In fact, the backup strategy that he had, all of his investment, he was willing to set fire to it so that he could fully be on the journey that lay ahead to him. Setting fire to our past. And that was the second thing I learned from my little rambunctious ADHD self was let go. Children have a way of letting go, don't they? They love to let go. They love to be, you know, Saul and so many of you. I I see you back in the room back there, and you're spinning kids around, and you're throwing kids up in the air, and most of the time catching them. And, you know, it's fun. And they just scream, and they love it. You know, they love it. It's fun stuff. They love jumping off of things. They love being on a trampoline. They love that sense of letting go and being free. But we... We got work to do. We got to walk. There's something about letting go, just turning loose. That's what it takes to go on an adventure. Share a verse. Isaiah 43. God says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing, and now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? It's like... It's right here in front of you. I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Ah, God is preparing. The adventure is all over the place. And he's saying, it's right here. I'm making all things new. Can't you see it? Let go of what binds you. And I want to suggest there's three things that will tend to bind us. Three things that will oftentimes stop us from going on the adventure, no matter how big that adventure may be with God, or how small and how momentary it may be. Three things that will stop us. The first thing is the sin that so easily besets us. The sin that we carry around. It absolutely has a stopping kind of a power to us. Not that it stops us, but we stop ourselves as a result of that sin. And God would say to us this morning, let go. Let go. Listen, God is not looking back on everything you did before. In fact, the scripture says he takes our sin and he throws it as far as from the east is from the west. And he remembers it no more. You can go to God and say, hey, God, you remember that thing I did yesterday that I was really sorry for? And he would say, I have no idea what you're talking about. I already, I forgot that. I mean, if you want to tell it to me again for some strange reason, fine, but I'd forgotten it. That is one of the natures of our brains. We were created to forget and to move on. But what happens We allow it to kind of hang around and we regurgitate and shame and guilt and all those kinds of things. Guys, it's time to let go. It's time to receive the forgiveness. It's not that the forgiveness hasn't been there already, but it's time to let it in. Let it in. Let it go. 
Sometimes it's not our sin. Sometimes it's the sin of others that were enacted upon us. There was trauma that was in our life, or there was something that somebody did, or something somebody did not do. We need to let it go. Move on. Like that little child that says, well, yeah, I got an F yesterday, but hey, today's a new day. Let's move on. Maybe not quite like that. It's hard moving on from those kind of things, isn't it? One of the things I've been kind of talking about and proposing, and I'm just going to put it out. I mean, today I get to preach, so I'm just going to say whatever I want. But uh, (laughs) one of the things I've been kind of hinting around and proposing is that one day, I think soon, we need to create a, a center for healing that enables people to deal with those things, those traumas, those things that were enacted upon them, to let them go and to move on. And I'm not talking about a therapy thing. I'm talking about something that really allows people to heal and then jump on the exciting adventure that God has. I want to see it, and I'm going to keep praying about it and keep trying to convince people. It's time to let go. The second thing is letting go of the couldas and the shouldas and the what ifs and all those kinds of things. That's ridiculous. I don't know why we do it. You know, if only I had gotten that degree in rocket science, I'd be in a better place today. Well, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. There's no value in that. And do we think that God is looking behind and bemoaning the fact that we didn't make a decision back in the day, five years ago or 10 years ago? Oh, Gosh, if only you would have taken that class. Gosh, guys, I could have done so much with you. If only you would have talked to that person. Man, I had a great adventure. God is not bemoaning what you did or didn't do. So why are we doing that? It's time to let go of the couldas and the shouldas and what would have beens and just embrace what is, what is new. And the third thing I share with you that sometimes slows us down It's our successes. It's our victories. It's the things that we know that we can do in our sleep. Those things are really hard. You think releasing and letting go of poverty is hard? Try letting go of wealth. Try letting go of success. This really came true for me just the other day. Three years ago, we were, our family was in a a, a really difficult space. Uh, One of our children became a victim of human trafficking. Today, Six weeks into it, my wife actually is executive director of the very group that helps free people from uh, sexual and and, uh, physical uh, human trafficking. That's amazing. It's incredible for me. And yet, the other night, I was on a delayed flight from Boston, and she called me, and she was just kind of not panicking, but she was really intense. And she said, that company that I talked to a month, a couple months ago, I think they want me. It's all that, it's the money that I was making before I left that executive position. They got great health benefits. They got everything. And I said, what are you going to do? Yeah, you know, because she's looking at this little nonprofit and saying, there's problems here. <laughs> there's real challenges. I'm not for sure how God's going to do this. So the next day after I came home, I said, what would you do? She said, I burned it all. Let it go. I called him this morning and said, no, I know where I am. I'm going to sit right there. Letting go of the successes in life. All through the scripture, there's all kinds of stories of this. From Moses to uh, uh, Jonah to the disciples to 
people all over the scripture. It's that entering onto a journey, an adventure with God. When God comes and interrupts in the middle of plowing the field, God comes and interrupts and says, I have something for you just in this moment. And then letting go of that. The stories abound. It's everywhere in the scripture. Finally, last part of this. And then he set out to follow Elijah and become a servant. At some point, we have to go ahead, walk away. We've burned the past. We've set fire to those things that are holding on to us. And we're ready to walk into that adventure. And become the, the thing, the person, the, 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 the event that God has called us to be. To have the life that God has called us to have. Uh, the first sermon, Mark talked about this when he was talking about there is more. All through life and through his life, he has found that just when he thinks that he knows what's going on, God has something more and reveals to him, no, 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 there's even more. There's more. I want to build on that and say this, because this was the last little message I got from myself, is to be more. Now, not become more, but be more. Right now, be the more that you already are. It's hard to even say it, isn't it? And yet if I said to you, are you human? Can you be human? You would go, well, yeah. Uh, you know, Michael, I want you to be male. Not a, not a problem. I, I am male. And yet when we come to the word more, suddenly be seems to, become, to, to translate into become. As though we're not already more. You are already more. Just a couple of scripture passages. Look at this one. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. That's in Genesis. First of all, God, I don't know why you couldn't use better grammar. You would never get past fifth grade with that kind of... And the redundancy. What is that about? The right way to have said this would, God, would, would have been to have said... God created man and woman in his own image. See, that's simple, that's clean. But instead, he keeps saying it. He created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. I get two things out of that. One, he created us. Two, we are in his image. You are in the image already of God. In fact, somebody might say, what? Are you just saying we're like God? Yes, you are. You are not God but in many ways, we are just like God. God loves. Can you love? Yeah. Um, God sacrifices. Can you sacrifice? Sure you can. God forgives. Can you forgive? God works diligently. Can you work? Yeah. The same stuff that is God is also in each of us. Therefore, the adventure that he's called us on to, you're already programmed for that. It doesn't take, I'll say it again, it doesn't take any new experience of God, spirit of God, to go and smile at somebody and ask them how their day is, to care about somebody. It doesn't take any unusual thing. And yet, in that moment, we find the presence of God and we find a sense of self that we would have never known before. You are already more. The question is, is how much of our more will we actually take on? How much of my more can I actually allow myself to experience? And, and listen, I, I understand this is not saying that, you know, that 
I'm more, and therefore there's no learning whatsoever. No, of course there's learning. Because in experiencing the more, I learn that there are other aspects to that. It's complex. There's, there's knowledge. There's skill. I become better at my more than I am. But I'm just wanting to challenge you guys. You are more right now. You are a new creation in Christ. Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. Assume, embrace the more that you already are. Finally, I want to close this morning with... Uh, uh, oh, I, I share this with you. For God gave a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I, I love this. So we are the more. We are created in the image of God. And God says, and therefore I have given you power. Power to be the more that I created you to be. Love that enables you to change the world, to change your life. Love, it's right there. And also self-control. Why would you throw self-control in? What a downer right there. I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with power and love. Yes, it does. I also, God says, give you the power to know when to use your power and when not to. And how to share love. I've given you a sound mind. The spirit that that will teach you and will guide you in that self-control. Okay. I want to close the story of Elisha. And... uh, so Elisha goes off, okay? Guys, this is, this is so good. And if you already know the end to it, uh, sorry, you're going to have to hear it again. So Elisha goes off with him. And then for eight years, we hear nothing about Elisha. His name is not even said. From 1 Kings chapter 19 until 2 Kings, it's about uh, 2 Kings chapter 2. There's about eight years. There's wars. There's kings. Kings are killed. There's all kinds of stuff. And Elijah's right there in the middle of it, fire and miracles and, you know, words of wisdom. It's just, Elijah's crazy with just, he's right there. But where is Elisha? I don't know. See, sometimes when God calls us into the adventure, the first step forward is actually a first step back in which I surrender and I serve and I learn and I grow how to be the more that he's given me. So it's now eight years later. Gosh, this is so good. So Elijah and Elisha are on their way to Gilgal. And as they're going, Elijah says to Elisha, Elisha, I want you to stay here. Just stay here. I'm going to go on. And Elisha says, no. As the Lord liveth and as you liveth, I will not leave you. And so they go to Gilgal. Gilgal. And when they get there, some prophets come and they approach Elisha and they say, Elisha, did you know that your master is about to be taken away from you by the Lord today? And Elisha says, yes, I know. Be quiet. Just keep quiet about it. So they get from there, and Elijah says, I got to go to uh, Bethel. But why don't you stay here with these prophets? Stay here, Elisha. And Elisha says, as the Lord liveth, and as you liveth, I will not leave you. So they go to to uh, Bethel. And they get there and some prophets come out to Elisha and they say, Elisha, come here. Did you know that today the Lord is going to take Elisha, uh, Elijah from you? They're going to take, he's going to take your master from you. And Elisha says, I know, but be quiet. And so Elijah says to him, okay, God has called me down to Jericho. Stay here, Elisha. And Elisha says, as the Lord liveth and as you liveth, I will not leave you. 
And so the two of them go down to Jericho. When they get there, prophets again approach. Do you know? Yes, yes, I know. (laughs) Just be quiet. And finally, Elijah says, God has called me down to Jordan. And they go down to Jordan, to the Jordan River. And there's 50 young prophets standing over on the side. Elijah takes off his cloak and he rolls it up and he strikes the water of the Jordan River with it and the waters part left to right. And Elijah and Elisha walk across. And Elisha now knows now is the time. And Elijah turns to him and says, Elisha, what would you have from me? What do you want? And Elisha says, I want a double portion of what you have. I want a double portion of the Spirit of God that is on your life. I want the double portion of that. He's a man on an adventure. A man who knows there's more and he wants it all. And Elijah says, well, you're asking a pretty difficult thing. I don't control whether you get a double portion or not. But I'll tell you this. If you see me being taken up, you'll have it. But if you don't, then it won't be. And right then, the clouds part, and a chariot, Keith, it's a chariot on fire, and the wheels are on fire, and there's horsemen that are driving it, and the horses are on fire. Although, you know, it's good, it's cool, it's from heaven, obviously, okay? And the chariot comes right in between Elisha and Elijah, and it scoops up Elijah like a whirlwind, it says, it spirals him up to heaven. Elisha, and what does Elisha do? Well, he no longer has cows that he can slaughter. He doesn't have any equipment that he can burn. He can't throw the party that he did eight years ago, which he invited everybody to come and celebrate with him, that he was burning his past and he was moving into the new adventure, that he was assuming the role of the more that he was called to be. He didn't have any of that. So what did he do? Elisha took off his clothes and he ripped them up into tiny pieces and he threw them away. He burned his past again and he took the cloak of Elijah And he rolled it up. And while the young prophets across the river watch, he struck the water with it and the river parted. He got the double portion. He was the more that God had created to be. And guys, I would say to you this morning, and maybe this is the last time I'll get the opportunity and maybe not. But I want to say to you, Horizon Community Church is ready for the more. We are ready to do the thing that God has called us to do. We don't need a lot more preparation years of thinking about and praying about. Let's step into the new that God has for us. And it can begin simple too. It can begin today, this morning. We can walk into the new as a church. Guys, it is time for us to grow. It is time for us to assume the responsibility To reach out. See, Jesus didn't say, one day you'll become the light on the hill. He said, you are the light of the world. You are the lamp that's set on the hill to shed light for everyone. You are the salt of the earth. Guys, that's us. He's talking to us. 
I'm ready to do something different. I'm ready not to give up everything that, we, that God would have for us and that we would say together we need it as a part of our identity. But I'm ready to assume the new, to find that new thing that God invites us into. I'm ready to see a double portion of God's love and his grace and his power that it will change the town of Towson. Guys, I'm ready for it. And I pray that you will be too. Double portion, guys. That's what I want. Do or die. I'm tearing up the past. Let's go ahead. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. God, thank you for worship leaders. And they're coming up, even though I forgot to ask them to. Thank you, God. Give us a double portion. Open up the adventure to us, God. Help us to set fire to our past. Those things that maybe keep us from walking into the adventure that you have for us. Enable us to embrace the more that you've created us to be. This morning, for it's in your name we pray. Amen.